Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Hey, I'm Gabe Gonzalez, and you are listening to the QWERTY Podcast. Hopefully you knew that, but if you didn't, welcome. Um, I hope you stick around a little bit. This is a weekly show from QWERTY and Forever Dog, where I'll be covering news, politics, and pop culture that is in some way impacting the LGBTQ community this week, and I'm going to invite a guest to just come hang out a bit, reflect on the week, generally keep it cute, etc., etc. This week's headlines uh, include some interesting stories. A Brazilian politician that wants you to know he's gay, but not too gay. An Arkansas woman that got a surprising note in her mailbox, and yet another conservative blaming the gays for something, this time her poor styling choices. We've also got an incredible guest on the show. Comedian and writer Drew Anderson is on to talk about being a part of Out in Hollywood's inaugural Out Loud list and his pilot Salem, written alongside Julia Shiplett. Um, We're also just going to talk about life in general and comedy and what he's up to. I'm really excited. But first, we've got to get to those headlines in a little segment we like to call Catch Her Up. We're walking at a brisk pace, folks. The news never stops. All right, here's our first story, our very first headline of the week. A Brazilian governor comes out, which sounds like cause for celebration, but like any gay revelation gets a little messy and very complicated. Eduardo Leite, the 36-year-old governor of the southern Brazilian state of Rio Grande do Sul, came out last week, and he wants to run against Jair Bolsonaro, the country's COVID-denying and vocally anti-LGBTQ president. Some people are celebrating the move and Leite's support for same-sex marriage, while others have pointed out that he endorsed Bolsonaro during the president's 2018 campaign and is also a member of a center-right Brazilian political party. Then there's the interview he gave coming out in which he said, I'm gay and I'm a governor who is gay rather than a gay governor. Just as Obama in the United States wasn't a black president, but a president who was black. And I'm proud of this, end quote. I'm not exactly sure what he's trying. I don't I don't think we need to unpack that. I don't think there's a lot of substance there or why Barack Obama needed to get dragged into this. Um, But for the record, if anybody asks, I am definitely a gay podcast host in that order. No other talents, no other aspects of my my personality. Um, That's the most important one. Uh, Make of that news what you will. We're going to see how the next Brazilian presidential election turns out and if he's running. All right, here's our second story of the week. One Arkansas woman got an unexpected note about her rainbow flag during Pride Month. And surprisingly, it's not from a bigot. We can have nice things, too. Stephanie Robinson recently got a letter in her mailbox thanking her for putting up an LGBTQ pride flag in June. Her son, Levi, who bought the flag, posted this letter his mom received on July 2nd, which read, Hello, this is probably kind of weird, but I walk past your house every day and I noticed your flag. And I'm glad to know there is at least one ally in this little town from a young LGBTQ person. Uh, And I know we joke about how ugly and corny and commodified the rainbow flag has become. Um, (laughs) That can also be true. But... 
I did appreciate this reminder that uh, sometimes the tacky or overplayed things we take for granted can mean a lot to somebody else at a different point in their journey or in an entirely different community. Um, the letter was written in... I mean, it looks like my handwriting, but I also write like a middle schooler. So I can assume it was a young student. And that's kind of uh, the logic everybody is assuming given this letter as well. And look, loving our ugly flag is important. Okay. I mean, like, please stop putting it on bank logos uh, and using it to promote government agencies that target LGBTQ people. And for the love of God, please stop putting it on socks because my mom won't stop sending them to me. Uh, but we can love that ugly flag. It's ours. And we can make fun of it too. All right, let's move on to our very last headline of the week. Before departing from The View, Meghan McCain has taken a moment to blame her terrible sartorial choices on her gay friends. I, all right, we all had to learn who this was over the last two years, so, you know... I'm glad it's coming to an end. The soon-to-be ex-View co-host abruptly announced she'll be departing the show last week. She's clinging on for a few more weeks as of this taping, uh, at least three more. And it's welcome news to anybody who is tired of watching her increasingly bizarre looks become Twitter fodder that just keeps her name trending. I don't. I think it's on purpose at this point, like really, just to get people to talk about her. I don't even watch The View, and I hate that I had to learn who she is because of some poor styling choices. Uh, anyway, before leaving The View, McCain addressed a particularly bizarre look she claimed was Pride Month themed by saying today is the last day of pride month she didn't say by tweeting today is the last day of pride month i felt like doing a little rainbow slash unicorny to celebrate my friends just having fun let a bitch live first of all nothing good comes before the let a bitch live defense and i know this from experience second of all how convenient to blame the gays for your criticism. We can add it to the long list of other things conservatives have blamed gays for, like viral epidemics, natural disasters, and getting caught tapping their foot between bathroom stalls. And third of all, if we believe that Megan does in fact have any gay friends and they are behind this look, they are clearly the caliber of gay friend you get while unapologetically supporting a party that attacks trans children, that tried to strip away healthcare and adoption rights from LGBTQ people during the last presidency, and still has opposition to same-sex marriage in the official wording of their party platform. So there's a reason they let you go on TV looking like that babe, assuming they exist. Anyway, here's to hoping Megan's name never enters my field of view again. Have fun hanging out with those gays you speak of. All right, with that last headline, it is finally time to invite on our guest. I'm so excited to talk to him. He's a comedian and writer in Brooklyn. His pilot, Salem, which he co-wrote with Julia Shiplett, was recently named an Out in Hollywood's inaugural Out Loud list as one of the best unproduced pilots by queer writers. His writing has also been featured on the NPR show Music and Stories, and he currently contributes writing to Reductress McSweeney's and the Story Pirates podcast. I used to be a Story Pirate, too. We'll talk about that Wait, in another life. Uh, anyway, please invite onto the show uh, a dear friend, Drew Anderson. Drew, how are you? Hi, Dave. I'm good. It's so it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thanks for joining digitally. It's so wild to be doing this still on Zoom, but um, definitely the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's great. Uh, how have you been? Where Are you coming to us from New York right now? Or are you? I'm coming to you from New York, from Bushwick. Yeah, right, here amazing. in Brooklyn. Yeah, the infamous to... Bushwick. Yeah, of course. The infamous Bushwick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just trying to kind of beat the heat, you know? The humidity this week has been... <sighs> Tough. It's been tough. Yeah. We're going through a really wild heat wave here right now. It kind of comes and goes, but it reminds me of, um, I grew up in Florida and I yeah. truly just moved up north to get away from that weather. And here I am paying exorbitant <laughs> yeah. amounts of, of oh God, electricity costs for AC. I'm like, I could have just stayed in Florida and rented an entire home for $500 a month. Like, what am I doing? What part of Florida? So I grew up uh, right outside Orlando in a tiny little town okay. called Oviedo. It's not that tiny okay. anymore, but yeah. So I know you were living in Chicago before you came to New York. Did you grow up yeah. there? Or where did you grow up? No. So I, I actually grew up in New York. I grew up in the burbs outside the oh, city wow. in, in Westchester. And then yes. um, 
Yeah, Westchester. Jew from Westchester. And then um, after after college, I went to school in upstate New York at Binghamton. Mm-hmm. And then after college, I moved to Chicago um, to get my MFA in acting. So I went to grad. <laughs> I went to grad school for a year for acting. Yeah. Oh my god, amazing! I love how many comedians low key went to graduate school. I think Jay Jordan did as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, There's just oh like god, a bunch Jay of did. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get, I do get it. I think that like, yeah, the path to comedy was like, you know, I went from theater school to then doing like some theater and then improv and then stand up just kind of in in search for autonomy you know <laughs> that sounds like their progression right we all i yeah, feel like improv yeah. is absolutely our gateway oh drug and it's the most chaotic <laughs> it's so chaotic and it's embarrassing at this point you know now at this point we're like not to be shady but like all these improv theaters are shuddering and it's like oh god i like i cried so much when i didn't make teams and like you know it's like so much drama and so silly and wildly not competitive inclusive, right competitive. Yeah. yeah cost prohibitive i was like i moved to new york and i was like i remember i took out a private loan to do like second city for a semester in college no. and i moved to new york and they were like none of that counts you have to start from scratch here and i was like literally can't afford that so have fun i know i'll like oh, God, see what i can get so booked true. on like yeah, yeah it was like, wild we do, we do things differently here none of right. it's like what are we even doing it's make-believe what's happening it's like I already learned to wait tables in Chicago. I'm sure you're serving the food the same here. It's fine. I like, know. like the zip, zip zap zap culture is really different here. It's just all of that shit, babe. The zip zap awful. zap culture that is our our pyramid scheme. That's our comedy cult. Oh, Love yeah. it. Oh man. Oh no. Yeah. So that's what brought me to Chicago was, yeah. was grad school. But I stayed. I stuck mm-hmm. around because I. It's a great city and I, and really great if you're young and poor and want to you know make theater and do comedy shows it's so much more accessible than new york there's it's just so much easier to produce things i feel like there was more of like uh i, I mean i spent like six months there and i was in like a weird like weekly conservatory style <laughs> yeah. thing so i, I was yeah. in a little bubble but it did feel right. like there were a lot of kids who were living in chicago and going to school there um there were a bunch of kids from DePaul in the program from columbia yeah and so it was that was cool to kind of see a sort of built-in community if you wanted to do comedy like i landed in new york and it was very new and my way and was just all like drag queens being like we got a spot to fill tonight you got anything to read and i was like i <laughs> hope so we'll figure yeah, that out yeah. yeah what was that transition like for you going from chicago to new york yeah um it was it was you know what it was it was hard i i like i was deciding whether i wanted to move and i just felt like i had reached a ceiling in chicago i mean there's certainly there's certainly so much to do in chicago and there's so many shows and like wonderful comedy scene but i just felt like i was really wanting a large exciting inclusive queer comedy scene and i just wasn't really getting that when i lived in chicago it's of course certainly gotten better since you know since i've left but yeah that was the real push for me to move to new york but like when i when i started doing comedy in chicago doing stand-up i kind of like started doing it going through the back door like i didn't do open mics i didn't do any my friends were like you just want to do the show or like you know my first show was at like the laugh factory which is like (laughs) the chicago equivalent of caroline's you know it's like this big it's like the disney of comedy theaters and i i did that show and was like and i and i killed it it was such a good show and then like immediately i moved to new york and did a random bar show and completely ate and was like, oh God, like I, I actually have to put in the work here. So I started yeah. to, to go to open mics and just kind of trudge through that whole world. And that was a real rude awakening. I'm so glad that I did it. You know, I went to like two mics every night of the week. I was like really, really hustling. 
really hustling. But it was hard. You know, New York's a much harder city. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like there are so many shows here and so many folks doing stand up. And I, I almost feel like it's I don't know what's happening, but it feels like there's sort of a weird like comedy boom where like everyone thinks comedy's real hot and everyone's like, I'm, I'm going to try stand up. I could do it. And it's really yeah, quite yeah. grueling to just try. I, I mean, like you said, it's like it's half of it is like, you know, your talent and the set that you're bringing to it. But I think the other half is truly just like hustling and having people remember you. So they might book you in the future and like hopefully someone yeah, sees you there. Right. It's like really you're right. riding a, a wave of hope until something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something emerges yeah. kind of. Yeah. Well, I think that like with, with social media, you know, being so popular and people kind of getting that instant gratification, the likes, the encouragement, I think there's like no, you know what I mean? It's no surprise that people are like, well, why don't I just do stand up? It's the same thing, you know, it's posting a funny tweet or, you know, caption, but it's all, you know, I'm missing me like getting on my soapbox. <laughs> but I, you no, know, but I know, yeah, yeah. but stand up is a real skill and, you know, people, you know, really does take a lot of work. And I'm, I am glad that I, I went to all those open mics because it, it did definitely help me get better because I was really bad. When I came to New York, <laughs> I was bad. I mean, I, I was, was too, but like everybody has to be, you know what I mean? Everybody has to, to eat once to get better. You and that's like, to eat it's a true like destruction of your ego to be like, I'm doing stand up. And it's, yeah, I don't, yeah. I kind of love it for that as bizarre as like the form yeah. it can be. But yeah, there is, you know, I, I approach it like being an improv kid in college. I was like, oh, it's just like storytelling with like some funny voices. Like I'll, I'll be yes. like a Robin oh Williams or a Richard Pryor. Like I can oh, do yes. this. Like, right. Like that is, it, it, when I, it's funny that you say that. Cause when I, one of the first shows I did in New York was in like this, was in this bar, I think Freddy's. Have you ever been there in Brooklyn? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, in like South Slope area. Um, oh, and Mar- yes. So Marsha Belsky, one of my best friends and Bless. now oh, co-host, yeah. just the best. She was on the show too. And I remember she watched my set and then like uh, we were speaking about, this was like maybe six months later and I was talking to her and, and she was like, yeah, like I could tell that like it was one of your first and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I could just tell that you had your whole shtick, like you had your voice, you had your act out, you had like everything kind of planned out in such a, in a, in a kind of green way that you kind of, you know, you let go and you, you keep doing it. But it, it was embarrassing for me in that moment because I came in like feeling like such hot shit. And then I was, you know, certainly knocked down a few times. <laughs> Yeah. I, I love the like subtlety of that little note, the like loving yeah, nudge of like, yeah. babe, I could tell it's fine, but you're great. Yeah, like, you yeah. could tell. And it's like, it's fine because we're all, we all were there. You know, it's, yeah. like, that's how everyone is at the beginning, but it yeah. is funny because it's like, oh God, drag me. You know? No, of course. Yes. Yeah. So you yeah. have worked on a few things together. You co-host a show at Union Hall, right? Yeah, we, um, we co-host with Sam Taggart. Yes. Um, at, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Stevie, which is a, which is a very loose, Stevie Nicks themed show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, we became fast friends and I was like, do you want to host like a witch themed, like Stevie Nicks kind of, you know, dark themed comedy show? And it's like, even that is like an, an insane <laughs> thing to pitch because it's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, uh, speaking of like, you know, you, you feel like you need a gimmick, you know, when you're starting out, you're like, what's our in? What's going to separate our show? And it was like, so we approached Sam about doing the show. We hosted it at Our Wicked Lady. To begin, oh, yeah. and then, um, yeah, we hosted there for two years. It was so fun, and then we just moved to Union Hall. We worked on that together. We worked on Handmaid's Tale, the musical, together, um, which yes. we co-wrote with Melissa, Melissa. Rich. Yes. Yeah, Melissa. Uh, yeah. yeah. What was that like? Because that was wild. I mean, you all like 
that got so much press and so much attention. I feel like you all toured it a little bit. You were going places. Like, what was yeah. that experience? Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, God, that was like, that was such a unexpected, funny thing that just hit. Like, Melissa yeah. and Marsha just wrote this musical and it was so funny and such like it was just such a part of the zeitgeist like it was just it was like handmade fever everyone was talking about it so it was just like having something that was recognizable i think for an audience and then also being so funny that was just mm-hmm. it just like hit in this way so it like yeah to start in new york and then we did so many shows and then we went to like philly and like went to the kennedy center like it was yeah like, yeah like, like yeah it just had this life that none of us expected and it was it was so, so much fun. And it also helped us kind of, you know, build this community of, of friends and, and, you know, it was, it was very fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was such a blast and like such yeah. a great, I don't know. I really feel like we're spoiled. We have such a lovely comedy community here in Brooklyn, like yeah. us little Bushwick gutter punks. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it is. It's go. really, it's really, I don't know. It's really nice to just see sort of the collaborative energy that, that kind of comes out of this yeah, after you've been here a yeah. bit and kind of like find your folks. It's really, it's nice. It, uh, but it yeah, nice. going back to like witchy vibes, I want to talk to you sure, about Salem because sure. this sounds yeah, very much yeah. up my alley. Talk to me of about course. this pilot and yeah. the out loud list and sort of what that process was like and sort of where this project is living and hopefully where it's going. If you can, okay, whatever yeah. you can of say. Of course, of course. But I'm very interested. It sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, so Julia Shiplett, who I've known for a long time, actually met her in Chicago years ago. We just got together and we were like, oh, it would be so fun to collaborate and write on something. We were just generating ideas and we're both kind of big fans of, you know, Mockumentary and Christopher Guest. And we were thinking about writing something that was strong character, character driven comedy that was like, you know, a workplace. It was a workplace vibe, kind of like The Office or Parks and Rec, but we wanted to put it in a location or, you know, a period of time that was fun to us. Mm-hmm. And we were both just like, you know, tickled by witches and like certainly the Salem witch trials I find fascinating. Um, and we were like, well, wouldn't it be funny if this, you know, this workplace comedy existed during the Salem witch trials? Like, what would that look like? And also, like, <laughs> of course, like, what would it be like if, you know, the majority of the characters are queer? You know, it's just funny and like kind of horny and queer and silly. And of course, the they all speak in modern speak. So it's mm-hmm. like it exists kind of uh, in this strained reality. So, yeah, we just started writing it. And then um, we sat on it for a while. We got some notes. We did some revisions. And then we did a uh, Zoom reading of it um, in, like, peak quarantine, like, uh, in around Halloween. We were oh, like, wow. let's okay. just do that because it's, like, fitting, you know, for the subject matter. So we did a reading uh, around Halloween. And it was, like, so fun. We just got our friends to do it. And it was, you know, it was at that point where everyone was doing Zoom stuff. So it was, you know, so, like, uh, it wasn't kind of like, uh. So we did that. And it, you know, went really well. And then, like, the script was just submitted to this inaugural list and it was chosen as, like, one of, I think, like, I don't know, 10 or 12 scripts that haven't been produced and, like, TBD. You know what I mean? I don't yeah, know. Like, right. Yeah. We're like, okay, like, someone give us money. Like, let's make this or, you know, let's produce it. It, it hasn't happened yet. But, like, obviously, Julia and I both love it and we had so much fun writing it and we're like, would love for that to be the case. And Julia is just like uh, such a dream. She's so funny. So to write anything with her is the best. 
Yeah, I'm sure. And thematically, it just seems like, I don't know, I feel like people are sort of hungry for these things that sort of mash up unexpected genre in a weird way with a strong point of view. Yeah. And I just like love yeah. the idea of just kind of queering this story told in the late 1600s. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is also wild because I'm a history nerd and there's so, we're absolutely going to talk about this later because this plays into the game I want to ask you to play with me at the end. Oh my God, just I like learning like wait. secret weird queer histories of like uh, the pilgrims is so strange yes, to me, but it's exactly. like actually real. There's so much of that. Yeah, exactly like the like the protagonist in the in the pilot is the mayor of the town and he's like this huge fag yes <laughs> and he's played by he was like drew drogi <gasps> like did the reading and read the part and was like so funny and perfect sublime. Like, it was sublime like it was just so fun because it's like there's a ton of plays tv movies about witches but it's always this like hot brooding daniel day lewis type and it's like well like what if it was a big fag like how much fun would that be? <laughs> yes. And that he's kind of driving the story, you know? <laughs> so yeah, like I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's fun to queer these spaces that are like just, so straight. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Straight. Exactly. Allegedly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. All right. Okay. We're going to take a quick ad break in which you may hear my voice again. But when we come back and you hear my voice thrice, um, we will still be talking with Drew Anderson. I want to talk a little bit more about witches. I want to talk about, um, you talked about Christopher Guest. And I want to talk about this Jennifer Coolidge interview, if you've read it yet, or just your oh, thoughts in general. Yeah. yeah. And then we're going to play a little game, Queerly Beloved Colonial Edition. Uh, so we'll be right back. And we're back with our guest, Drew Anderson. I am your host, Gabe Gonzalez. This is the QWERTY Podcast, and we are here talking with Drew Anderson about all things witchy, all things comedy, queering history in compelling ways. <laughs> uh, but I want to rewind to something you mentioned earlier uh, in the writing process for your pilot, Salem. You mentioned you're a big fan of mockumentaries and folks like Christopher Guest. And he's been on my mind because of this Jennifer Coolidge piece that came out in Vulture, I think, yes, today. Yes. Just truly a great profile. And I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are are on this like Jennifer Coolidge renaissance we are embarking on right now. I, I truly just got full body chills hearing yes. you say Jennifer Coolidge renaissance. I just don't think anyone is funnier than her. I haven't had a chance to read the article. I just got New York Mag like it, mm-hmm. it just came in the mail. Yes. Her delivery, every, everything she does from Sex in the City, I mean, to like Legally Blonde, any of the Christopher Guests, everything she does is just so genius and her delivery is just always spot on. She's so funny. She's really fantastic. I think the first time I ever saw her in a film was Best in Show, and just her in that role in particular was very iconic. And there's another Christopher Guest movie I'm fully forgetting the title of, where she plays oh like yeah. an actress. Oh, for your consideration. Oh, she's in it yes. with like Parker Posey. Like, and truly takes some of the most basic, like just absolutely like dumb one-liners. There's no better word for it. It's I just mean, like these we ridiculous, could, like it makes them we genius. Could like, not, yes. We can talk or not talk forever. I mean <laughs> yes. that's that's like one of the fun- that's one of the funniest things, and then then talking about them having they both share an interest in soup. <laughs> It's like, I mean, and that's improvised. Like, that's improvised. It's just magical just to have that instinct. And also sort of like, I feel like there's sort of like a pureness in her instincts that's like, you just have to have it. Because like with a lot of comedians, you can see the wheels churning. I'm one of those, right? Like, I'm always putting on a show. I can't just be silly and out of it. Like, I am I know I'm not that type. And I've always envied the Jennifer Coolidge's of the world because it's truly, I think she knows how to channel it, but it really just seems natural. It's just her impulses are lovely. And it's 
it's also like she's one of those actresses where it's like she's always Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> Fully. No matter what she's playing, Fully. but it's like none of us care because she's just so lovable. It's like we don't need her to transform into this new. It's like this is Jennifer Coolidge. We're watching Jennifer Coolidge, and it's yes. like that's all we need. We don't need her to transform because she's just so lovable. I didn't read the article. I can't wait. So she's having a renaissance in in what way? Is, is she having a show come out? Or a I think she's coming back and doing the show on HBO. And I think the creator of the show or the writer of the show, at the very least, I'm like fuzzy on the details because I literally just read it before. This and I was so thrilled. I was like chugging an iced coffee and reading about Jennifer Coolidge. I was like, we should have talked about this today in the news. And, and you know, that's that's my agenda. But um, basically, this uh, the writer of the show was like Jennifer Coolidge was my non-negotiable aspect of the show. I wanted her in a role oh that was God. like nuanced and kind of thoughtful and yes. wasn't like the American Pie vibe. But the impression I get from reading it is that it's about sort of a dissatisfied or deeply unhappy sort of wealthy woman trying to find purpose in her life. And I just would fully love to watch Jennifer Coolidge explore that. Persona, like very yes. Queen of Versailles vibes. Yes. I would love yes. to see her. That doc, Jennifer. I want Jennifer Coolidge to reenact that documentary. Is what I yes. want. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm. Well, I'm so excited to hear that. I mean, I would love to see her like have a role that she could sink her teeth into. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, absolutely. she deserves that. Like Jennifer Coolidge should win an Oscar. The show is called White Lotus. I'm very excited about it. I know very little. I know maybe the logline and the Jennifer Coolidge is in it, and that's enough for me. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I'm into it, and this is on HBO. Yeah, I think it's coming out on HBO. Okay, okay. Bless. I know, I know. We're all re- <laughs> look at us wait. renewing our subscriptions after a few months <laughs> can't wait. of a discounted that price. Awesome. Yeah, we're all yeah. over it for sure. <laughs> okay, Drew, I, I have a game I want to play with you, but before I do, I love asking comedians. I feel like comedians always have a backup plan. As you mentioned earlier, comedy is never a career that immediately pops up in your mind when you're thinking um, sustainable, right? Like livable yeah. wage. That's not, yeah. not a thing I contemplate. And I find that a lot of comedians have like secret skills or expertise or like a backup plan that I'm very much surprised by. And you mentioned going to grad school and getting your MFA, but I'm wondering what was maybe your backup plan or what is maybe like a secret skill set that you think you would have applied if uh, you hadn't gone down the rabbit hole of stand-up? That's such a good question. Okay. So I, I have a, I have some, I don't have a lot of skills. But I would say that my... <laughs> we appreciate an honest guest. Bless. The ones you have, you're great at. <laughs> Naturally, I, I actually think I would be a good therapist. Oh, I think okay. that I, I think that I give good advice. I think I'm a good listener. I think I'm a good problem solver. Um, I, I, I think naturally I'm loving in a way that would help me be a good therapist. I mean, maybe not lo- loving isn't the right word, but I think at least attentive and able to see things clearly. Oh, I love that. And then if we're like still talking in in the like it create creative world or creative field, I think like I'm a really good baker. Like I'm good with pastries and that's kind of a natural ability of mine. I made a lot of um, edibles during quarantine. Ooh, and got really yeah, good I was going to ask, is that a pandemic skill that you developed? Yeah. Like, I mean, yes. I, I just was like going through it and I was unemployed. So I, I had this like little side hustle where I would like, I learned how to make weed butter. And I made, um, edibles. I became like pretty proficient as a baker. Um, I think like also design, like interior design, I really enjoy. I love like shopping for things. I mean, everyone says that that's probably, I know it takes a lot of work, but 
I think that's maybe one of my natural abilities. Babe, you could be a one-stop shop though. Like a therapist <laughs> that you buy weed yeah. brownies from on the way yeah. out who can decorate their own office. I will say yeah, if we were yeah. doing a Zoom therapy right now, the succulents are a very soothing. You've got the open oh, window, the you. natural light. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're getting yeah. a very zen. We appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strong Zoom therapy vibe. Those are the first three things. But like I went to college originally for in the school of management. So I think I was like thinking I was always good at math in mm-hmm. high school. So I was thinking that maybe I could go down that road, but it didn't pan out. Yeah. Oh God. I went to school for international relations. That was my declared major oh, freshman year. Like, Whoa. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, uh, you know, I wanted to be a little Anderson Cooper clone, as eerie as that sounds. High school gape was very bleak. It was a very dark time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Drew Anderson was, uh, <laughs> high school Drew Anderson was similar. Totally like. <laughs> okay, we're gonna need another hour for that. So I mean, <laughs> truly, I'll are you charging? Text. Yeah, I was gonna say if this is your first therapy session, I may need to charge yeah, you. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll take to unpack that. All right, Drew, thank you so much for coming on. I have one more little moment I would like to have with you. One segment I like to yeah, call please. "Queerly Beloved." Only we're gonna put a little spin on it, and it's gonna be "Queerly Beloved Colonial Edition." Okay. Oh my God. So you co-wrote a pilot called Salem. Uh, The Salem Witch Trials took place in the late 1600s. The Puritans were famously not a very tolerant community, um, whether that was in regards to Native Americans or people that also came from England who were not very religious, uh, cis straight people. But one interesting thing that I uncovered as a history nerd in college was uh, the Marymount Colony, um, which was founded by this person named Thomas Morton, where they were like very openly gay and just like a lot of scarves and cross-dressing, wow. like having a lot of queer fashion moments. Cool. So I want to ask you, usually when we play Queerly Beloved, we ask somebody to kind of eulogize a trend, a person, a place, a thing, a phrase from an age past that they would bring back um, or that they wish were still with us. Um, But I'm going to ask you, since you are an expert on all things colonial and queer, what from that very bizarre point of this country's history do you would you bring back? What are we missing from like puritanical colonial England? What's a trend that uh, we're long overdue for? Okay, wow, this is really such a good question. Oh, I can give you some examples in the past. We played this. Yeah, we so we played this with Coco Peru. She wants to bring back a sensible two inch pump. That was hers. Okay. Bianca Del Rio wanted to bring back Benefer, which was oddly prescient. Um, That was deeply horrifying. Is this supposed to be from colonial time? Yeah, give me like 1600s, 1700s era trend that we are bringing back now, or at least eulogizing. It was gone too soon. Okay, interesting. Okay, I love that. Let's see. Um, you know what I think would be like kind of chic. <laughs> I love this. That, I love overheading. You know the, you know like I think it was like the um, <laughs> the queens used to wear those like those like ruffle things around their their neck that I think could be chic. I think Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Like 1600 kind of, Mm -hmm. I think that could be a moment. Maybe people are doing it, but I haven't seen it. I think that that could be really fun. The regality (laughs) of it. I'm sure they brought that over. They did their own variations on that crossing, crossing the ocean and being terrible colonists. Right. They brought over some fashion. I also think like meat pies. (gasps) Can we talk about that? I love meat pies. Do you like meat pie? Okay, so I went to I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Fest in high school in Scotland with my school, and we I literally had meat pies there for the first time, but like all sorts of pies, and I was like, oh, I'm loving this like weird Mrs. Lovett meat fantasy. Pies. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
meat pies i don't know why like i'm sure you can get the obviously you get them in other countries but like they're not happening in here they're not happening in new york in the states often not even just a chicken pot pie i mean like just i mean i know it's maybe it's seasonal no one wants to eat a meat pie in the summer but that's maybe it's a messy snack honestly i would meat pies i think were big at that time okay we're bringing back meat pies They're the empanada. They're the empanada of of Europe. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think that would be a huge hit. I think a meat pie. You need fast casual dining meat pies. Drew, we're making it happen. Yes, let's do it. Sign me up. (laughs) I hope that if Salem ever gets made in your promo box, you send out meat pies. That would be a stunt and a gag. Could you imagine if I sent out like big bottles of booze and meat pies? That would be. That would actually be so funny. And like some flea-infested blankets just for good measure, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Pox-infested blankets, meat yes. pies, and like a big thing of bourbon. Like, that would be beautiful. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, fantastic. I'm on board with this. Well, Drew, thank you for your brave eulogizing or defense of meat pies. We're bringing them back. <laughs> it's happening. We're going to do it. Vegan meat pie. We'll make it work in Bushwick. Yeah, we can make it yeah. Happen. If cupcakes were a thing... I'm just waiting for it. We got it. We'll yeah, I agree. Agreed. This is so fun, Gabe. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. And before we let you go, I want the Query listeners to know where we can find you online on social media. Talk to yes, us. Yes, of course. Twitter and Instagram, same handle as at I'm Drew Anderson. And um, yeah, you can you can find me. You can find me out at shows. Come watch a show sometime. Cool. Amazing. And the next Stevie is when? Yes, it's September 9th. Awesome. September right, 9th if you're in is New a, York. It's a Thursday. Come on out. It's the Bell House. September 9th at the Bell House is the next Stevie, correct? Yep. Beautiful. Okay. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. This was so fun. Absolutely. I had a blast with you. And if you are listening and you had fun too, you can support the QWERTY podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our show right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And you can get your QWERTY fix every day at QWERTY.com. You can follow our guest again at I'm Drew Anderson on all social media. QWERTY has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. QWERTY is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shereen Lonnie Yunez, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Tracy Soren, Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Motts. Forever! Forever.